Well, uh, my name is Joshua, and I am the uh, senior pastor here at Christ Center, and I'm glad that you're here. And we have been on a four-part journey right now talking about uh, sexual integrity, God's plan for sexuality. So if you've missed the last three sessions, uh, they are worth listening to, and I encourage you to go back and hear the fullness of what this message has been. And, uh, but if you're here for the first time hearing this, Uh, Let me give a little bit of context and maybe remind some of us the journey that we've been on. Um, The first thing to to know about this series is um, that we're speaking from the perspective of what God teaches and requires of those who have chosen to follow Christ. So this this message is for people who are saying, "I, I have surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore his view on everything is now my view on everything. So as a Christ follower, these are the ethics, these, this is what is right or wrong taught by Christ uh, in the scriptures. And that's why I'm doing this because I'm a Christ follower. So that's the perspective of how we're teaching this. Now there is an important conversation of how Christians are to engage in whatever nation they happen to live in. So whether you're in a communist nation or whether you're in a socialist nation or whether you're in a, uh, a democratic republic, Um, then that is an important conversation for how we engage, but that is not what this conversation is, okay? So this is for Christ followers, what God is teaching us that we're to do. And further, part of what's so important for us as Christ followers uh, that we understand is that we bear the image of God. In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, and in the beginning, he made humans. He made us male and female in his image. Some of you are probably familiar with that phrase, imago Dei. It means in the image of God. And you and I are carrying the image of God. And as we serve him, then we demonstrate God's intention and his glory on the earth. When Christ was here, he said, I am the light of the world. And then he taught the disciples. And then when he left, he said, you are the light of the world. Go and make disciples of all nations. And we do that through what we do and through what we say. We do that through obedience in word and deed. And those two things, we are called to have those two things match. And when we do that, glory is brought to God because we're demonstrating the fullness of what his design and desire is for all humankinds. And that context comes also in this way that God so loves the world that he desires that none would perish but all would have eternal life. And whoever believes in Christ Jesus will live forever. And whoever does not believe in Jesus will not. So this is the spirit. This is the context of what we're learning from is how do we carry the glory of God in the way that he gave it to us? He has given us this gift, Jason so wonderfully laid out in Janelle last week, of demonstrating his glory and within marriage showing both male and female within that union of which, out of which we create, we co-create life and our children are growing up in a place of the diversity of the full glory of God demonstrated through both male and female. And so therefore that child grows up with an understanding of the eternal beauty of God. Are you with me? So that is some groundwork here as we now step into the final part of this series on sexual integrity. God has given us the gift of sex to be shared 
within the confines of marriage, but what we're after isn't just about abstaining from sin, it's living with sexual integrity. What do we mean by that? We've borrowed a great definition of that um, from uh, Preston Sprinkle and his group, um, which, do we have that on the website? I believe that we do. If not, it'll be there. But there's some phenomenal um, resources that we'd like to point you towards as you're educating your own children about sexuality in this current age. And there is a wonderful 12-part series that is uh, brought by the uh, Center for Faith and Sexuality incredible resources. Jason and Janelle have both, re both referenced those, but I want to point you towards those as a parent. Wonderful way to engage in conversation with your kids, and we've borrowed pretty heavily from them as we've gone through this, so I can't say enough good things about giving you tools as parents um, in, in this day, so please take advantage of that. Here's the uh, definition. Sexual integrity is about having a holistic view of sex. It's not just about saying no to sex outside of marriage. It's also about understanding the beauty and complexity of what it means to be a sexual being, whether married or single. To be clear, if you are being a sexual being while you're single, you're celibate and you're saving that glory um, <laughs> and, and, and aiming that sexuality unto living a celibate life out of worship unto the Lord. And then if you are called to being married, then you will act upon that. Um, so how do we live with sexual integrity in a world where we're surrounded by temptations? The fact is we sometimes desire things that are not good for us. Has anybody noticed that? We desire experiences, including sexual ones, outside of the picture of God's, I'm, of, I'm sorry, outside of God's picture of wholeness and integrity. These desires aren't necessarily sinful in and of themselves. Remember, temptation is not a sin. Can you just say that? Temptation is not a sin. Okay, do you believe that? All right, this is really important. Temptation is not a sin. Behaving, your behavior, your meditation, that can be sinful. But the temptation itself is something that's just presented. Sometimes these desires that we face, these temptations, they might come unbidden. They may have been there for a long time or they might have developed over time. But whether it was nature or nurture, we have to grapple with those desires. We have to discern what is allowed and what is not. And then we must live according to what God has to say about them. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17 says it this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'm, I'm realizing I'm reading from the ESV and you're looking at NIV and they say lust. They both work, okay? Have anybody here has a real love for chocolate? then that word probably works really, really well. <laughs> but desire and lust, we can use those interchangeably. That desire of the flesh, that lust of the flesh, that desire of the eyes, that lust of the eyes, that pride of life, these are the desires of the world and they will pass away with the world. So these are temporary things. 
I do want to say this for those of you that, I know there are some of you that are here today that weren't here for some of the earlier messages, and I, I need to say this. Part of the context for our sexuality, sexuality is important to understand that Jesus spoke very clearly that sex itself, the act of sex, is temporary. In fact, he said, uh, in heaven, we will neither be married nor be given in marriage, but we'll be, we will be as the angels, meaning we will no longer be sexual beings. We will be who we are. We know that Christ is the firstborn of many and we'll receive a new body just as Christ did. We will receive a new body and it will have flesh. We know that in the scripture, but here's the thing that we will not do any longer. We will no longer be married to each other and we will no longer have sex, which means that sex itself is temporary and that our fulfillment in Christ, the eternal goodness, where there is no more death, there is no more shame, there is no more crying, and there is no more pain, is in the context of there is also no more sex. So for those of us that bear a cross in the area of sexuality for this time, it is temporary and will be fulfilled in eternity. So even if this is the area for some of us where we will actually suffer in the name of Jesus, know this, just like any other suffering that we have in this earth, it will be temporary and in eternity it will be fulfilled in Christ. Are you with me? So God's given us this dignity of choosing him in the midst of options here on earth and he doesn't remove those options. We think about, right, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. There are desires that we're faced with that God doesn't remove the presence of those while we're here on earth. You guys remember he was the one that put the tree in the Garden of Eden of knowledge and evil so they could have a choice to obey him in something. Well, those, there's a, that, that tree still exists in all of our life as it were let's think about some of those desires that we have. Desires for riches. Anybody want to raise their hands? Desires for power. Desires maybe for food that's not good for us. Everybody's like, well, I'll raise my hand for that one. That's not so naughty. <laughs> desires for novelty. It's like, what's the newest, latest thing? That's, that's boring. I want this new thing. A desire to alter our body from male to female or vice versa. A desire for constant shopping. Are there any retail therapists in the room? Yeah, that's me too. I have so many beautiful shoes. All of them the Lord willed. Desire for someone who's not your spouse. Desire for someone who could never be your spouse. Maybe you're single and, and you're like, oh. It's like, well, that person is not yours. They belong to another. Desire for someone of the same sex. Desire to dress as the opposite of your gender. Desire to engage in pornography or online relationships. Desire to engage in sex outside of marriage. These desires, if fulfilled or meditated on, don't lead to the wholeness that God designed for us. But we still experience them, don't we? So how do we live in a world that's saturated with these things? First, first thing I want to say to you is, you need to know that what you're experiencing isn't because you won the extra broken lottery. Like, ding, 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 you got the bad one. You're the worst. No, in fact, it's because you're human. And we're going to fight these battles in life. In fact, 
No temptation has befallen us. And let's let the scriptures say it. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 13. This is after going through the, um, uh, I'm sorry, let me just read it. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is when Moses came down and they'd made the golden calf and they were having an orgy. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples. And they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Jesus is here, you guys. We are born again. We are in a time that angels and prophets looked forward to and wanted to see, and we're living it. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Saints, this, the stakes are high here, aren't they? Temptation is real. The desire to rationalize and justify and do what we want because it's very attractive to us, we live in that world, don't we? But he says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. So the first thing I want you to hear this is, guys, you're not a weirdo. You're not the only one that ever suffered with this particular temptation. Whatever it is, you know it. Or maybe there's a few of them. I know for me, I'm a multitasker. I don't just have one. I've got several that grace may abound, and it does, but, but it is common to mankind, but God is faithful, and he will not let us be tempted beyond what you're able. You may feel like your track record says that you're not able, but God says you are, and this is a redemptive day where we're saying, hey, you know what? Your temptations don't define you. His love for you defines you. Second, it's not eternal when Christ comes. I just said that earlier. It's all going to be dealt with. These desires will go away, and our good desires will be met in Christ. Come on. These desires are not eternal. In fact, one of the things that, that is so beautiful about some of these desires is knowing that they will be met in Christ. And in fact, some of our desires are actually twisted truly legitimate needs that need to be met. For instance, some of us may have a temptation to, to live in a state of anger at all those idiot people out there that are ruining everything. Well, the Bible says, be angry and sin not, but we're not doing it that way, are we? But what, what could be a good desire, a legitimate need that, that will be met in Christ later that's not being met now? For anger, Could it be a desire for true justice? That there really is a judge and that everyone will either accept the justice that Christ bought or pay with their life for the injustice that they brought? Could it be that in that day, every one of us will stand before a true and good judge and either accept the grace from the Lord or accept justice that we deserve? It's gonna be a good day. Is there something wrong with that? No, that's a beautiful thing. I'm glad he's a good God. I'm glad we have Christ for mercy for us, but justice will be served. Another one might be greed. How many of us are just like, you know, how much is enough money? Just a little bit more. There's a temptation there. Well, 
Could it be that that, that twisted desire there for too much, that greed, but, but, but what's, what's behind that? Could it be that, in, that what we're truly looking for is security that can only be found in Christ who says, don't even worry about tomorrow. I'm with you always. What about polyamory? I just want to love a whole lot of people and we just all want to love each other. Could it be that since there is no sex in the kingdom, that, that, that it's actually a desire to have intimate friendship and closeness with many of my brothers and sisters in eternity? It's been sexualized on this earth, but there's no sex in the kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth. So what is it that could be getting twisted where, where not, you know, this isn't enough and I need more? I'm, I'm just simply saying that when we go towards these things, yes, not every desire is coming from a good place, but many times there are good things we're trying to obtain outside of God's loving design. And it's important to be kind to ourselves as we submit ourselves to God and ask him how to follow him in sexual integrity. There's a great book that's called Unwanted that gives a unique view of finding clues to the good and legitimate things that you may be seeking in an illegitimate way. The book is called Unwanted. I, I want to encourage you, if you're someone who's dealing with some, some temptation and brokenness in your sexuality, that's a phenomenal way to begin to look at. Maybe there's something here, a legitimate need that God would meet differently than the way that I'm sexualizing it. This is a great quote. Um, Mark, can I ask you to come on up? This is a great quote, and I, I think it summarizes a, a beautiful invitation for us that, that truly our desires are only satisfied in Jesus. He is the security you seek in money. He is the high you seek in alcohol. He's the ecstasy you seek in sex. He's the health you seek in doctors. He is the song that you seek in music. He's the dance you seek in nightclubs. He's the beauty you seek in traveling. He's the wisdom you seek in books. He is the peace you seek in worry. It is Jesus whom you seek. Mark is gonna share a little bit, and uh, I appreciate you being here today, my brother. Run. Okay. Hi, I'm Mark Wall, and I'm our community pastor, and one of the things I do is lead our men's groups. And I started leading a group of men who were struggling with unwanted sexual behavior almost four years ago in July of 2019. A core group of men were looking for healing in this area, and by word of mouth and some pastoral invitations, it grew to a group of eight. And they, we started that journey. Since then, we've now started over seven men's groups. We've had over 50 men participate, most of them from our church. I'm sharing this to give you context of what I'm talking about today, how we disciple men out of shame, how we walk together to transform their character into the men God designed them to be. Well, how does this start? As, as Joshua talked, we live in a fallen and broken world that promotes sexuality, that it, it displays or, or it promotes sexuality and sexual encounters as a solution to pain, um, or even that that will give you a better life. It may have started in innocence, a discovery that led to occasional use. Self-pleasure and pornography may have become habitual, 
some are addicted, using their desires to medicate areas of pain or or rage in their lives. Often, they don't realize how dependent they are or that they cannot change on their own. As I mentioned, around 50 men, 50 men who love Jesus, who want Christ to be the center of their lives, who want to walk their lives in wholeness and integrity. And they have a variety of backgrounds. Some have been caught by or confessed to their wives and their marriages are in trouble. Some are single. Some struggle with same-sex attraction. Some have been sexually abused as children. Some have been part of families that encourage them into pornography and sexual relationships. Some are walking in sobriety. Some are struggling with sexting, that sexually provocative texting relationships. Some are struggling with other addictions. Many struggle with anger, and all of them are on a journey. In addition to loving Jesus, they have several things in common. Self-deception, shame, and regardless of the circumstance, each of them has been asking for help. That's why I'm so proud of them. They've humbled themselves, and they're growing by submitting to the Lord and to each other as they walk out healing, committing themselves to a journey to overcome past brokenness and move into wholeness. Now, confidentiality is core to creating a safe environment to change. So I'm going to be sharing parts of my story that I know I have much in common with those who are going through this. So how do I help? How do I equip them? Well, I have sat in a chair, broken, begging for help. I've gone to counseling, and I may still. I've met with a group to start walking out my journey into wholeness. I still have men as accountability partners in many areas of my life, and I meet with them regularly. I'm still accountable as a husband and a father to my wife and my children. You see, shame paralyzes us. It keeps us captive to fear of discovery or rejection. And then self-deception drives us into isolation. I would believe a lie about myself and about my value to be true. And regardless of the reasons, whether it was protection or survival or even justifying my behaviors, it keeps me from understanding who I am as a son of God. As I lead these groups and encourage others who are leading them, I am still walking out my healing. I have areas in my life with tremendous victory. And I still have times of self-sabotage where I need help. I can't lead if I'm not willing to be transparent. And I desperately need men who I trust to talk into my life. They help me see where I am believing those lies. This isn't a quick fix. This is discipleship. It's a lifestyle of continually growing who I am as a son of God. Again, I'm, I'm speaking, I don't know what word that was. I'm speaking first person singular, and this is through my eyes and my heart. 
But in our groups, this is how we come alongside one another and grow. This discipleship is not about sex or anger or addictions. Because once I open up and I start talking about my greatest area of shame and bring that into the open, then every area of my life is open for transformation. My darkest secrets are now in the light. Shame and self-deception lose most of their grip. And now I am looking at all of myself and seeking to be a whole man of integrity in every area of my life. As I walk this out, I have great days and I have horrible days. But month on month, year on year, I am transforming and changing. This is my journey. This is their journey. And we continue to walk it out, increasing our wholeness and our integrity. And Janelle is going to come up and she's going to talk about how this is working in our women's groups. Thank you, Mark. I want to address the women and those of you that know women in here and just talk about how what Mark was talking about, uh, that cycle of um, unhealth is not just a man problem. I think when I was growing up, I just always assumed that it was. Um, and the older I get, the more I realize this is very, very prevalent with women. And I think um, that shame around this is a bigger deal for women because it still isn't as thought of as a woman's problem. And so um, I think that we get lumped into like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, only the people with the larger problems or whatever. But um, this is very commonplace, very commonplace. This, if this is an area where you're struggling, I just want to say you aren't alone in this, and there are a lot of people that are walking this journey. One of the things that the enemy uses so much in this area is isolation, um, just saying, well, you are the only one with this problem, and it is you, and you can't go to anyone and talk about it. And that just kills me. You know, we all have areas where we are isolated and the enemy just does a head trip. And part of what we're doing in this is just exposing that. It's like this is stuff that everyone deals with. Um, we have a few groups for women in this house. One of them is Betrayal and Beyond. And it's for the spouses or um, maybe fiancés of People that have walked through this, where there has been a betrayal and there needs to be some healing, some healing in yourself, some healing in the relationship, and that is a group that we have that meets here. And we also um, have a group for women that are struggling in the area with sexual uh, desires and that type of thing, and it focuses on love, sex, and relationships. So if you're a human being then it is for you. Because we all, we all have one of those things in some season of our life. Um, one of the things that we really focus on is uh, love addiction. When I first started in this curriculum, I'm like, nope, that's, that's not me. I don't have addiction problems besides caffeine. And um, I, it was astounding to see how widespread this is, which a love addiction... Um, is just 
a desperate attempt to satisfy a deep need for belonging through relationships in a healthy way, whether it's same-sex friendships, you know, in theory, platonic friendships or opposite sex. It, it is just um, our unhealthy way that we cope and just try to always be fixing a relationship or you can't not be in a dating relationship or you can't not be, you know, flirting with coworkers or whatever. And um, that's also a super, super common thing that so many of us struggle with. And when we meet together in these groups, it's just a place of community that helps us grow together. It helps us walk through healing when we are vulnerable and we're willing to be known, when we're willing to take that first step out of isolation and say, I want better for myself. I want to be moving away from these things, these habits, these um, behaviors that I don't really like or I don't know any other way. When we come, it's definitely a safe place to be in process because every single one of us is in process. We aren't, um, nobody will have arrived until we get to heaven, right? All of us are in process. And this has been just a beautiful place to come and mess up, talk about those mess ups, and um, just have people surrounding you that support you, that call you out on your stuff. <laughs> Oops. And I wasn't going to say the bad word. I wasn't. Not the other one. But I would have been in trouble. Um, yeah, they call you out in your stuff and love and support you on those days where all you can do is call your own self out on your stuff. So I want to just offer hope that there is more to being stuck in these same cycles. There's more to just wallowing, not wallowing, but just being stuck in shame, being stuck in isolation, being, being so, feeling so broken and so much pain that you don't know, you don't even think that there could possibly be another way. I want to offer hope to you that there is another way. There is. We have um, a lot of women that have walked through this, and they would tell you, yep, there is hope. That It's long and it's slow. The healing journey is slow, but it's beautiful because we're not alone, because we do this in community. We are vulnerable. We take these steps out of isolation, and it's just beautiful. It's not comfortable, but I wouldn't trade these last two and a half years for the world from the things that I've learned and grown and walked alongside people. And it's just so, there's just so much strength there. So I just want to um, offer you hope that there are options, there is support, there is community here that does want to come alongside you and that does want to um, support you and walk with you in these areas and Again, I just want to like take your face in my hands and say you aren't alone. Come out of isolation because there's people here that love you and believe in you and support you. Pastor Joshua. I've been really enjoying having Janelle speak more. We actually are not the ones that kept her out of the pulpit. It took like a miracle of God. 
to get that amazing woman to get up here and speak. Isn't it good? So good. Thank you, Jesus. And now I feel bad. You did, you did good too, Mark. Sorry. <laughs> I, that's, I'm just the worst. Anyway, praise God. I want to end with this. First John uh, chapter 2, 1 through 5. I don't think I gave that to you, Joe, so I'm just going to read it. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. To know him is eternal life. To not know him is death. We know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. This is a very important space for us, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak next week about humility and gratitude and receiving the forgiveness of God. I want you to take these things that we've talked about for the last, well now including this week, for the last four weeks, and I want you to ponder them in your heart. I want you to receive the invitation and the admonition that Jesus Christ gives us to come and know the Father as he knows him. The prayer that I have for you is the same prayer that I pray every day, several times a day, for myself and for my kids, Lord, that they would know you as you are and know themselves as you know them. God, that you would form Christ in them, that they would grow in wisdom and favor and stature with you, God, and with others. That's the prayer that I have for us, that we would know him as he is and know ourselves as he knows us, that we would love him as he is and receive that love and, and, and walk in holiness. It says, in fact, without holiness, none of us will see God. Can you guys just all turn and look at the clock back there? Do you see that clock? Go ahead, just turn and look at the clock and you're, you're looking, everybody look at it, look at it. Did you see me while you were looking at the clock? Why didn't you see me? Because you were looking at something else. When we give in to these areas of, of, of sexual brokenness and many other things, but this specific series is about sexual brokenness, it's called idolatry. It's where we're actually looking at something else to try to meet a need of identity to meet a need of safety, to meet a need that it actually can't meet. It can only be found in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and knowing yourself as he knows you. That's why this is so profoundly powerful for us because the temptation is to try to meet these legitimate needs that we have in an illegitimate way. And the design and desire that God has is that we would turn from those things. Sin is us defining what is right or wrong according to our own desires. 
Forgiveness is Christ crucified. And he says, little ones, do not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I do know this. I've lived this. In 2001, I began my journey out of absolute sexual bondage into walking into freedom. It was a longer journey than I would like. But I remember being in that place of just having that constant path of going from bad to worse to worse to worse, of experiencing the law of diminishing returns, of needing things to be more novel and more illicit and more whatever because the payoff that used to work as a, as a, as a, as a painkiller for me is what it was, as an ability to survive for me is what it had become, but it was getting, having to be worse and worse and worse to have less and less and less effect. And all of you understand what that's like, whether you're, whatever you're medicating in, whatever your idol is, yours might not be sexual, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. If it's drinking, you need more. If it's food, you need more. If it's money, you need more. If it's power, you need more. If it's defining yourself through these sexual things, you'll need more. And here's, here's my admonition in closing. Little ones, do not sin. First John says, he who is in Christ cannot go on sinning, for Christ is in him. He who sins does not know God. He who knows God practices righteousness. Now that probably sounds really scary to everybody in here who is in the midst of a habitual sin. You're like, did you just say that he who is in Christ does not go on sinning? Because um, I did it this morning. And you're feeling that. But here's what I want you to understand. You're not able to sin and continue in that sin and keep going and going and going because your own conscience is condemning you. Because you still have that deep sense of sadness. Because you can't just keep sinning and liking it because it costs you having to turn away and you don't see God. And you know that. And even as I'm saying this to you, you may have stared your conscience, but right now the Holy Spirit is reminding you like, you can only lie to yourself for so long because the whole universe is resisting you. You were created for righteousness and Christ is in you and he's raising you from the dead and he will complete the good work that he's begun in you. So yes, you have sinned, but you won't be able to keep living like this. You won't be able to keep sinning because Christ is in you and he is causing you to start practicing righteousness. You see, we practice righteousness because Christ has made us righteous. Do we perfectly practice righteousness yet? No, not yet, but we do practice it, don't we? And there's a difference between practicing sin and practicing righteousness. Which one are you doing? Don't grow weary in resisting sin, the scripture says in Hebrews. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've completely forgotten this word of encouragement that, direct, that addresses you as a father addresses his son, and it says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens 
everyone he accepts as a son. Did you know that you resisting this temptation is actually forming Christ in you? Jesus was tempted just like you, and it says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. What you're suffering is your opportunity to obey God in the midst of options and choose him. All of us suffer. We don't get to choose what we're tempted by, but we get to choose whether or not we're going to lay hold of the grace that is in Christ and resist the enemy, and eventually he flees, and tomorrow he'll come back, and you can be like, good, how many sets are we doing today? But you resist him, and you keep resisting him, and you practice righteousness, and little ones, as it says in John, do not sin, but if you do sin, get back up. So I don't know what you're struggling with today. I want to ask the uh, home group leaders and the prayer team and the elders and to come forward now. I don't know what you're struggling with today, but you know. I don't know what the area of, of, of the cross that you have to bear is, but you know. You know what it is. And you may have begun to embrace the idea that because this temptation comes day after day, that you might as well just give up and embrace it because that would be easier. And I'm telling you, that's a lie from the enemy because it won't be easier. It will take more and more and more and more. And, and if you make this thing an idol that you're willing to worship, you won't see God because you'll be looking at this. And you'll eventually have to choose between this and God. But today's not that day. He's very patient. His, his patience, his kindness leads to repentance. Today is the day, little ones, if you have sinned, confess your sins and he'll forgive you and get back up and practice righteousness. The invitation is to think about these things, to let the Holy Spirit do this work in your heart. I want to encourage you to join these groups to join small groups, to share with others and say, this is the area where I need prayer and help and encouragement. I need to be with you and you with me. I need to remember who I am in Christ because this thing is acting like it's everything for me. And it, it's hard. This is a cross that I'm bearing. Will you help me with this? Because this is not a place where you're going to be shamed for that. We're going to invite you in. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with dysphoria or same-sex attraction or pornography or gluttony or alcoholism or you're just a jerk. <laughs> We're going to welcome you with open arms because you know what? So are we. So are we. So did we come. So are we laying a hold of the grace of God. But here's what I'm asking. Please, please don't practice sin. Come and let's together practice righteousness. His grace is sufficient for all of us. So I want to invite you to come, those of you that would like prayer today. But I also want to encourage you, if you've been hiding, if you've been suffering alone, if you've been in isolation, if you've been practicing this thing, come into the light and let's practice righteousness together. Because that's our destiny. Can you receive that? Lord, I pray your blessing over us and I ask that we would know you as you are and we would know ourselves as you know us. I pray for the courage today, Lord, for each of us, if we've been practicing sin, to come out and to practice righteousness together. 
I pray for new groups to form, for these home groups to continue to grow, and that there would be no one in this place that is hidden in shame, but that all of us, Lord, would be found in you and would be found in community here. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.